Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How are we doing? We good? You guys sound great today. You look great today. I'm glad that you're here today. I'm thankful for you. Uh, one of the things I was thankful for this past week was you. And uh, if I've met you, then that was an easy one. If I haven't, I just assumed I was thankful for you. And, uh, and so I'm glad that you're here today. I'm thankful that on this Sunday you chose to be a part uh, of Generations Church. And I'm thankful that you, you got the memo. I think most everybody kind of got the memo. So here's what we're going to do. If anybody shows up for the 11 o'clock service here in a few minutes and they walk in, just slide over, let them sit beside you and just act like we just got started, all right? So uh, it's going to be all right. We'll work it out. Uh, I, I love that uh, we're gathered together in the room and I welcomed during our prayer time earlier, I welcomed those that are watching online and you know, every single week we've got, uh, some weeks, hundreds of people gathered together online in various formats and the different platforms that we utilize. And so I'm thankful for those of you that are watching online. And uh, I know there's something special about being in the room, but some of you, you can't, you can't join us in the room. If you're in the local area, come and join us. We'd love to have you with us next Sunday. But if you're not, then we love that you're joining us online. I actually met somebody here in person a few weeks ago. And I always ask the question, like on their first visit, if I meet them and uh, I, I'm talking to him. I always ask this question. How did you hear about us? And, and so this individual said, well, actually, we've got a friend who's been attending online for months. And so when, we, when they found out we were looking for a church home, they said, oh, you've got to visit my church. You've got to visit Generations. That person has never been in person. They said, you've got to visit my church. You're going to love it. And they did, and they've been here ever since. And so I'm thankful for stories like that. And I'm just thankful that there are so many of us that are a part of this church family both in person and online. And for those that are normally with us in person, I, I made a plea to you uh, about two weeks ago via email and then last week in the service via email. But when we go back to our two services next week, 9.30 and 11, if there's no reason for you not to, and English teachers just sweat right there because that was a double negative, but if there's no reason for you not to, why don't you attend our 11 o'clock service? Reason being, we have the most number of guests at 9.30, and we're running out of seats at 9.30. We've got seats at 11, so if you can make that switch, even just for six or eight weeks, that would help us. We would love for you to do that. Uh, everybody just raise your right hand and say, I promise, I'll try it. No, you're not going to raise your hand. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. No big deal. I, that's fine. I'm, I'm not, Okay, anyway, I'll be at both. You could come be... Okay, anyway, so I'm going to move past that. But uh, hey, I, I hope that you had a great week this past week. I hope I, I talked to a number of you. You ate great food, and you watched some football, and your team won, or your team lost, but you showed up today with a good attitude. And so... Uh, we just, we came together for Thanksgiving and we maybe shopped a little bit, maybe ate uh, a lot more than you intended to eat, but what a great, great week together just to kind of pause and reflect over Thanksgiving. And so maybe you were off of work for a few days. Most of the kids were out of school for at least a few days. Uh, I ran across this tweet that I saw this week while we were kind of just doing nothing. It says, if your family asks you to bring rolls to Thanksgiving, it's because you can't cook. If they tell you exactly what brand to buy, it's because you can't be trusted. And you're one screw up from bringing ice next year. So if your family asked you to bring ice this year, <clears throat> now you know why. Now you know that not only can't you cook, they can't trust you. They weren't even sure if you were going to be there on time. So they just thought, well, if they don't show up, we'll just go no ice. It'll be fine. But uh, what a great week that we had together, just Thanksgiving and spending time together. And you heard from Pastor Aaron, who, by the way, copied my outfit. He actually went home after he saw me this morning and went and got his jacket. I don't know why I did that. But... Um, but you heard just a couple things from him a few minutes ago. I only want to hit two quick ones. Next week's going to be really, really special. I want you to be here for next Sunday. It's a multi-generational Christmas service. 
Our kids are going to be a part of it. You're going to hear them sing a little bit. Our students will be a part of it. You're going to hear scriptures read and just a really great presentation of the Christmas story. We'll have some of our adults a part of that as well. So, I mean, it's going to be a really great time. So I'd love for you to come and be a part of that next Sunday, 930 and 11. And then there's tons of other things he talked about. But one of the things that I want to make you aware of is that Christmas Eve that's always on December 24th, by the way. Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock, we're hosting a Christmas Eve service here, Generations Christmas Eve. Uh, and we'd love for you to come to that as well. I know there's a lot of other family things. You're going to go to Christmas lights, and you're going to go see all these things, and you might have to go to one family and then another family, and you're kind of doing the around-the-world thing. But 6 o'clock, and really about 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock or so, we're going to gather together. For a special time just as a church family. It'll be candlelight uh, during a portion of that. We'll worship together. We'll sing together, sing some carols. We're going to look to the Christmas story in a, in a unique way, but I hope you'll join us. And here's how you can help us plan. Just look around today. You can help us plan by going online and reserving just a seat. It's not like uh, going to a football game. You're not going to get like seat 7B. Like you're just going to reserve a seat. We have a certain number of seats and uh, that will help us plan a ton. So I'm just asking you for uh, your entire family. There's no G Kids environments that night, so you come together as a family. We'll have some things for the kids in this service, in this room. But if you'll just go on and register, you can do it right now. I won't think bad of you. Uh, just register the number of seats that you need for your family. Uh, that would help us a lot, and I hope you'll be here with us on Christmas Eve. All right, so everybody's good? Everybody's ready? <clears throat> if you got a Bible, I'd love for you to jump with me to the book of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. The book of Matthew, chapter 20. That's where we're going to spend all of our time today. Now, we're going to read a little bit, stop a little bit, read a little bit, and stop. But we're going to spend all of our time in Matthew, chapter 20, as we kind of look to this, this story that you may be somewhat familiar with. Maybe you're not. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's something that, that really speaks a lot of truth, especially in this season that we find ourselves in of Thanksgiving. And here's what I love about one service holiday service schedule Sundays. You ain't got nowhere to go, Okay. So I'm liable to preach three hours if I don't think it's landing. So if you talk back to me, you give me a good amen every now and then, then I go shorter, okay? So if you'll help me, then we'll, we'll do this thing together. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, it says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now stop there. Well, like I said, we're going to jump back in in a second. But I have preached through this passage, I don't know how many times, probably 10 or 12 times at least in my ministry over the last 20, 23, 24 years. And every time I read that word denarius, I would always say a dollar. Now, that's not because it was actually worth a dollar, but denarius sounds a lot like dollar. And so I just thought, you know, we don't really have denarius in our currency system. So it's easy for us to all kind of track with a dollar. But that's not what a denarius is. A, a denarius is actually a day's wage. So for easy math, this is not to set a new doctrinal position. For easy math, let's assume that these vineyard workers, these, these guys that are working in the field, let's assume that they make $26,000 a year. That means that they make $500 a week, which means in a Monday through Friday work week, they would make $100 a day. So the owner here is saying, if you'll come and work for me, I will pay you $100 today. So that just helps us. I'm not trying to say that that's the value of this story. I'm just telling you for all of us to kind of wrap our minds around it. Imagine that the guy shows up looking for some day laborers and he says, if you will work for me today, I'll give you a denarius. I'll give you a day's wages. I'll give you a hundred bucks, right? So if that sounds low, that sounds high, it doesn't matter. We're just trying to come up with a number that all of us can wrap our minds around. Continue reading in verse three. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Now stop. Now, 
It just said in verse 2 that he, or in verse 1, he went out early in the morning to hire workers. Now, when you read verse 3, some of you are like, it just said 9 o'clock. He went out again at 9? He said early in the morning. I think 9 is early in the morning. And some of you got a good amen right there. You missed a spot. It's okay. You're going to catch up. You're going to catch up, but it's fine. So in the first verse, he said he went out early in the morning. And then in verse 3, it says he went out again about 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, the older that I get, the earlier I rise. Anybody else that's true for you? Amen. Yeah, I got an amen right there. So when I was younger, I could sleep a lot. But now I can't really. It doesn't matter if the alarm is set or not. I'm usually a pretty early riser. Uh, but when I was a youth pastor, my pastor was the earliest riser I had ever been around. And here's the thing. like, you, If you have early risers in your house, it's fine if they just keep to themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's, You get up as early as you want to get up. Just be quiet. But my pastor, what he would do is he would let you know he was up working. So I would get emails all the time at like 4.30 a.m. I'd get a text at like 4.27. Sometimes he'd call me because he let me sleep in. It'd be like 5.05. And he would be like, hey, you up? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm just up praying, just working in the Lord. Like, no, I wasn't up. I was sleeping. It's 5.05. Why don't you go back to bed? Call me in a little while. So what happened? I didn't say that. He was my boss. I just said, yes, sir, I'm up now. What would you like me to do? I will do whatever you need me to do. So when he was in Israel one time, it was awesome because... He was on a different, whole different time zone. And so when I was getting up, I was calling him, not to talk about anything, just to wake him up, just to, out of spite. To be like, you up? He'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm up praying. I was like, well, you probably are, but still. So like, that's kind of this landowner here. He, he got up early and he went and found some workers. And they come to work in his field. And then he goes out again at nine o'clock and he saw some others in the marketplace doing nothing. Keep that in mind. That's huge. They were doing nothing. And he says, okay, now I want you to come and work for me as well. Verse 4, he said, he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about 3 in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about 5 in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now stop. He's setting us up. Jesus is telling a story here like he often did to reveal a larger truth. And in this story, he's setting us up. He, he's setting up those people that are standing around listening because they think they know what's going to happen. He's going to do what's right, and so he's going to pay everybody according to the amount of work that they did throughout the day. So he's setting us up. So here's what happens in verse 9. The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, this is huge, underline this in your Bible, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now, maybe you can understand their gripe. It doesn't seem fair to treat everyone the same when they didn't do all the same work, right? I love this quote from Thomas Jefferson. He's actually quoting Aristotle, who kind of Plato is in here too, but it says this. It says, little seems more unequal than the equal treatment of unequals. 
little seems more unequal than the equal treatment of unequals. It doesn't seem fair that they didn't do the same work and yet they got the same wage. And so if we're reading this in our American mindset, we're reading this in a culture and in a context when even the political figures that are running for office are using your wages and my wages against the other party to try to say, hey, we want to make sure it's fair and we want to make sure that you make what you're worth and you get what you're worth and we want to make sure that the classes system that we have in our culture and our society, we want to make sure that they're evenly distributed and we want to see all of these things take place. We start to see this play out here. It's playing against what naturally comes out of us, this fairness mindset. And what happens here is Jesus is trying to teach those that were listening in that day, and ultimately all of us that are listening today, a larger truth. And he begins by answering in verse 13. But he, the landowner, answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And I love this. I underlined it in my scripture. Are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, this is a story with unbelievable application potential. You could take this about nine different ways. And if I wanted to, we could literally stay here all day long just talking about the various places that this could apply to all of our lives. Because when I read this story, I see myself in these workers. I would love to say that I'm, you know, I'm one of those at the end of the day. You know, I just kind of worked a little bit, and, and God blessed me, and God gave. But I feel like I'm one of those early workers. We all naturally tend to put ourselves at the front of the line. We tend to think we've worked harder, we've worked longer, we deserve more than anybody else. And so I, I tend to see myself in the story of these workers. But it's challenging when we realize that this story isn't actually about the workers, it's not actually about the workers, it's about the landowner. And so as we read this story thinking about us, we often think about us as the workers, us as the ones who deserve the blessings and the rewards. But what did we read in verse 1? Verse 1, you probably skipped right over it, it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. This story, surprisingly, all stories aren't about you. They're not about me. We took a bunch of Thanksgiving pictures this week. You know what I did when I looked at them? I looked at the group shot and focused on me. Was I out of you know, focus? Was my hair standing up? Did they get my best side? I don't really have one anymore. But you know, like <laughs> if I wear layers, you can't. Okay, so like I'm, you know, and so it's like we tend to focus on us. And when we read the Bible, that's what we assume, that the stories are all about us. But there's this great reminder again and again and again that the kingdom of heaven is not about you. And the kingdom of heaven is not about me. In this instance, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And who does that landowner represent? God. That landowner is actually teaching us a lesson about God and who God is and how God responds to humanity. And so as we read it in that context, it takes the focus off of us and it puts the focus back on him, which is always an important thing to do. When our attitudes and, and we start to kind of get entitled, which we're going to talk about in a second, we start to think more about us and ourselves than about God and his character and his nature. When our worship becomes about us and our discipleship comes about us, then we kind of miss the mark. This story is about God's love for humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. And anytime we can circle back to that idea, it changes the way that we operate. 
And so as I looked at this story again in that context, I was reminded then of the response of the workers, people like me. And I was reminded, especially those early workers, about how thankless they were. Remember all the way back at the beginning, he recruited them because they were, what, doing nothing. And he gave them something to do. He gave them a place for that day and a purpose for that day. And he honored his word and he paid them what he said that he would pay them. But often, thanklessness in my life is at its root about disappointment. And if you've ever been disappointed in your life, if you dig into the why, if you kind of dig into why am I disappointed, you start to see how that disappointment begins to show up in the various areas of our life, relationships and attitudes and behaviors and the way that we interact with other people. And that disappointment starts to come across as, as thanklessness. I'm not even sure if that's a word. My, my, my app just kept telling me that it was a misspelled word, but I just stuck with it. I just kept saying, learn it, learn it, learn it. Because thanklessness is ultimately what I see here in this story. And so if we, if we feel like thanklessness is often rooted in our disappointment, then then what does it look like as we chase after Jesus? Here's the first thing that I see. Our disappointment produces an ungrateful attitude leading to entitlement. Our disappointment, rightly so or not, our disappointment produces an ungrateful attitude leading to entitlement. You might even say it like this, where gratitude ends, entitlement begins. Where gratitude ends, entitlement begins. Begins. The workers that were getting paid here should have been grateful. They were selected to do a job that they could do. They were told what they were going to be paid, and they got paid that amount. Up to that point, they had been doing nothing, and he gave them a way to provide for their families. And instead of being grateful, they got greedy. How many of us paused on Thursday to be thankful? Anybody? Did you just pause? I'm thankful? Grateful? I sent you know those cliche group texts to some folks around my life and thankful for you. Because I was, genuinely was. I was thankful for you. I prayed for you Thursday morning when I got up. and I just paused on Thursday to be thankful, to be grateful for all that God had blessed me with. But why didn't I pause on Wednesday? Why didn't I pause on Friday or on Saturday? Why don't I pause today and, and be grateful and to be thankful? Like, there, there's nothing special other than the fact that it's, it's on our calendar that makes Thursday the only day that we should actually pause to be thankful. But gratitude is the best way to fight entitlement. And when I say entitlement, what I'm talking about is a sense that it's due us. That we should have what we have. That we should have the things that we possess in our hands. That everything that we have created in our jobs and with our hands and with our intuition and our skill and our passions, and our, that it's because we're that good. We're that skilled. We're that charismatic. Like we have this sense of entitlement so often because we've lost gratitude. And I would also say that gratitude is the best way to maintain joy in your life. Now, it doesn't mean that everything is always going to be awesome. But when I start from a place of gratitude, it's easier for me to maintain joy because then it's not circumstantial. It's not like when things are going good, I will be joyful. No, when things are going good, you can be happy. But I can be joyful all the time. And I do that by starting with a posture of gratitude that says, God, I am grateful that I just got up today. 
Like, like whatever else happens throughout this day, with the first breath that I breathe today, I am thankful for that. I am grateful for that. And then the first person that I see, I'm grateful for that person. And the first thing I put in my mouth, I'm grateful for that provision. It doesn't matter what you make. I used $26,000 earlier just as the example. It doesn't matter what you make in this room. You are in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. Like we have a lot to be thankful for grateful for. And so what we have to recognize for all of us is that our disappointment, wherever it comes from, it often produces this ingratitude, which leads to entitlement. And I just, I believe with all of my heart, I don't always exhibit this, but when we are grateful, we are more joyful. And I dare you to try to prove me wrong. The most joyful people I've ever been around are just, they just have this posture of gratitude. It seems like they're grateful for even little tiny things. I'm frustrated at bad service at a restaurant. And they're like, they got cloth napkins here. Look at this thing. I mean, they're just joyful about everything. They're just grateful for everything that they've got. Here's the second thing. Our disappointment is often the result of unrealistic expectations we set for ourselves. Often what takes place is that we set these unrealistic expectations for ourselves. And then when we don't meet those... It leads to disappointment. The landowner kept his end of the agreement, didn't he? He did what he said he was going to do. He agreed to pay them a denarius, and he paid them a denarius. But they changed their expectations when they saw what others were getting. I told you in verse 10 to underline it, but it said they expected to receive more. Why? It was something in their brain. It wasn't what he said. It was something in their brain. And so they expected to receive more. And when they got what they agreed to, it didn't seem like enough. So often... Our disappointment is because of an expectation that we set for ourselves that went unmet. My son Tucker's sitting right down here. He loves when I talk about him. I'm about to talk about you, Tucker. Perk up. <laughs> so Tucker's 13. When Tucker was much younger, like just kind of late toddler, kind of early preschool age, he was struggling to gain weight. He got that from his mother, not from me, all right? But he was struggling. He would eat. He was eating a lot. But he was also playing a lot. He still does that. And he burns off all or more of what he takes in. He just he eats all the time, but he was just struggling to put on weight. So we took him to the doctor, and they, they've got those little charts, you know, and they track his age and his height and his weight. And, you know, we had kind of been on the low end, like real low end the whole time. But in this one visit, they used a phrase that we hadn't heard before. They said, hey, based on where he's at, his age, his height, his weight, he's now in a category that we call failure to thrive. That's exactly what I did. I was like, I don't really like that. Let's, let's, let's talk about something different. Let's call it something different. He's underweight. I mean, like this is, that was their label. And so Tucker, even at his age, he just said, okay, I'm going to put some weight on. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to gain some weight. And so he would come home and he would eat all that he could eat. And he was like, I'm going to work out. I'm like, well, you're five. But okay. So he's going to work out. He's going to put on muscle and he's going to eat a lot and he's just going to gain weight. And so I don't remember the exact weights, but let's just say he was 40 pounds. Here's what he said. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to weigh 50 pounds by next month. I'm like, well, that's a lot. Okay, so, <laughs> but okay. And I'm cheering him on. And so here's how he was trying to track what that looked like. He had a scale in our bathroom, and he would come in and weigh every night. Now, he would come in and do that completely naked because he didn't want to cheat. 
He didn't want to measure his clothes. He was just measuring Tucker. And so he would come in and he would get on that scale. And, and I would watch him as he would walk in and he'd stand on that scale and he'd go. And he'd get disappointed. Why? Because the doctor didn't tell him to get to 50 pounds. Tucker decided to get to 50 pounds. But up to that point in his life, he only weighed 40 pounds. So he was wanting to gain another 20, 25% of his entire body weight in like six weeks. Like I could probably, do, some of y'all worked on that this week, right? <laughs> You're like, I'll have some more, right? And, but, but Tucker just, he couldn't, he couldn't catch up to this unrealistic expectation he had set for himself. Now that's a story about a little kid. But how often do we do that? What are those things in your life and in mine that this is not what God told us. It's just what we decided. It's not even what wisdom would tell us. It's just what we think is a good idea. And we set this expectation for ourselves, and it's really unrealistic. Like, there's no track record that shows we can actually do that. It's like, yeah, I'm going to lose this much weight by that date. And it's like, well, you've never, ever been able to do that. I'm going to gain this much weight by, well, you've never been able to. I'm going to save this much money by this. Well, you, that, that doesn't even match your income and expenses. And so, like, I'm going to read the Bible an hour every day for a year. Well, you've never read the Bible for an hour, period. Like, like I'm all about setting goals. I'm all about stretching ourselves and growing ourselves. But there also is something that sometimes what we do is we set these unrealistic expectations for ourselves. And then when we don't meet our own benchmark, we're disappointed. We expected, like those early workers, even though this is not what God said, we expected more. And when we didn't hit our own measurable, we're disappointed. A few months ago, I went on a trip, and when I came home, there was an Amazon box. That is not an abnormal thing at our house. But I asked Corey, I said, hey, what is this box? She said, hey, I bought you a book. Now, if you know me, you know I love to read. I love to read. But in the history of our relationship, we've known each other for 28 years. We've been married almost 19 years, just a few weeks from 19 years. I don't know that she's ever, like, just bought me a book. Like, she found it, she thought I'd, and bought it. Like, she buys me tons of things, but books, I normally say, hey, can you buy this, or this is on my Amazon wish list, or what? So when I opened the box, I was like, this is all, she's like, I, I saw this, I saw somebody talking about it, I thought you might like it. It's called The Gap and the Game. Some of you may have read it. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. I read it, I consumed most of it in like the first day. I read the rest of it like the next day. I've used it in my, my coaching calls with pastors, and, and I love it. I've talked to our staff about it. But there's so many incredible things about this book, and I'm not teaching this book. I, I just want to kind of give you the nutshell because I think that it fits where we're talking, what we're talking about today. So, so I asked them to throw this graphic up. I stole this graphic, but this is, this is your brain. I was going to say this is your brain on drugs, but not everybody would have gotten that reference from the commercial. A few of us did. The rest of you are like, what did you just say? Just go to YouTube. So this is your brain. There's two options here, the gap and the gain mindset. Now, the gap mindset says I'm starting here. And this is what I've achieved, but what I'm constantly focusing on is the ideal. The, the, I'm going to gain 10 more pounds in a month. I'm going to lose 10 more pounds. I'm going to save $1,000. I'm going to get promoted by the end of the year. And whatever that reality out in the future is, it's not actually reality. It's a figment of our imagination. It's something we've created. It's a goal. It's a mindset that's way out there in front. And it's like chasing the horizon in the desert. The more we chase after it, the further it moves away from us. And what this book contends is that high achievers are actually some of the most unhappy people in the world. 
Because what Thomas Jefferson did, and this is not about Thomas Jefferson today, but what he did is he said it was about life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness, not actual happiness. You never get there, according to Thomas Jefferson. You're just pursuing it. And high achievers are like, well, I'm just pursuing something I can never actually claim for myself. And so in a gap mindset, instead of just kind of going, hey, look what we've achieved. Look how much we've already gained. Look how much we've already saved. Look how much we've already lost. Look what we've accomplished. We are constantly measuring ourselves by the things that we don't possess yet. But in a gain mindset, we've started, we've achieved. We're still chasing the ideal. We're still saying, I want to save the money, lose the weight, gain the weight, whatever it is. I'm still chasing that. But my mindset is focused on the measurement of what I've already accomplished. And the difference here is that in a gain mindset, it's about success and satisfaction and confidence and high self-esteem and enjoyment and optimism. But in a gap mindset, it's constantly about failure because we're not there yet. Constantly about frustration because we're not there that fast. Constantly about disappointment, low self-esteem, guilt, depression. There's so many things. And what happens to us in our life in pursuit of Jesus or anything else is if we have a gap mindset, we are constantly frustrated and disappointed about what we don't have yet. But if we have a gain mindset, we have an attitude of gratitude. We have a heart of thankfulness. We have a sense that, hey, look what we've got. Look, look what we could have. Look, look, what we've, look what God has blessed us with, what God has put into our hands. It changes everything when we switch from a gap to a gain. It changes everything. And my wife said this this week to a few folks in our family. It changes everything when we put the phone down and focus on what's in front of us and not about capturing the perfect image. Amen. Right? It's the thought here. I, that's, let's have revival. Let's go right now. I told you I preached shorter. Let's close. I just told you. I mean, no, no, here's the thing. I'm going to focus on what I've gained. I'm going to focus on what I have. I'm going to focus on the fact that God keeps his word. What's in my hand, he did not owe me, and yet he entrusted it to me. And so I've gained those things. I hold them in my hand. I'm going to focus on that as opposed to looking around at what other people got and going, well, I don't have that yet. There's still a gap in what I want to be and what I want to accomplish and what I hope to have in my possession. And what If I could get to what they have, if I could get to that level on my job, if I could acquire, no, 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 I want to go to a gain Mindset. It changes everything about the way that we live. we got to look back to determine what forward can look like. Here's the third thing. Our disappointment is often the result of comparing ourselves to others. I just talked about that. It's often a result of comparing ourselves to others. We don't like to be considered equals. We compare ourselves with others and see how we stack up. We are worse than or better than. But Jesus was teaching us that we are equal to. Remember, this is the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. What is he trying to teach us here? No one was more deserving or less deserving of God's grace. The landowner said, you work and you get paid. Jesus said, you're sinners in need of grace, equal amounts. There, there is no measure of grace. It's just yes or no. And Jesus always says yes to grace. To everybody. Those that we look at and go, they're too far gone. In the economy of Jesus, the landowner, they are not. We look at people and go, well, they've got it all together. In the economy of Jesus, they still need grace too. No matter how good or how bad you think you are or they are, all of us in equal measure need the landowner for provision and for grace and for mercy. But what we do is we compare ourselves. 
And we look at other people and we try to determine where we measure up instead of believing the words of Romans chapter 3 that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All, every single one of us in equal measure need God's glory, his grace, his mercy to shine upon us because without it, we are nothing. We are doing nothing by ourselves. But he looked at you and he looked at me and he said, come and work in my vineyard. Come and be a part of my work. Come and be a part of my kingdom. Come out of nothingness into everything that I've promised to you. This is about a generous landowner who calls those who had no work to work on his behalf to reap a harvest they didn't plant. What an incredible picture of the kingdom of God. And so you say, hey, this was good. I'm glad we all joined together for one service. You kind of left me hanging, though. How do we combat this thanklessness? Two quick thoughts. Two quick things for each of us as we look to combat disappointment and thanklessness. Here's the first one. You got to be thankful you're not where you used to be. You got to be thankful you are not where you used to be. We didn't, we weren't doing anything worth doing, right? We were just kind of doing our own thing. We were sinners in need of a savior. And I know for some of us, and I'm kind of speaking to me and those of us that have been in the church for a while, sometimes if we're not careful, we get so far past salvation that we forget we needed saving. Sometimes what happens is when you're just like just got saved, like when you just got like converted, you, you received the grace and mercy of God and, and you knew you were a mess. Like in those moments when you receive, like you are just on fire for Jesus and you got to tell everybody, you're just ordering food. You're like, that'll be, you know, 1142. <laughs> Praise God for that. 1142. I got 1142 in my pocket. Jesus saved me. Has he saved you? And you're just, you're just telling everybody, right? But for some of us, you've been walking with the Lord a long time and you've forgotten that you needed saving. It's like, well, I was never really a bad person. I remember when I was in the youth group, I was growing up, I was 13, 14, 15 years old, and I was in my youth group, and my youth pastor used to tell these stories, and I'm not making light of this story. This was incredible work of God's power in his life. He was saved right after someone woke him up. He was naked in a ditch, completely strung out on drugs, and they woke him up, and they got him some clothes, and they brought him into a church. And they led him to Jesus. Now, some of us, we hear that story and we go, whew, what a powerful story of conversion. That's amazing. Well, I'm sure that guy never forgets that he needed saving. But even if that's not your story, even if that's not my story, if you're a church kid, you've been in church all your life. If you were a relatively good moral person, you grew up in a good family and you kind of went to church all your life. And you, even if you didn't do all the sex, drugs and rock and roll and all the mess and all the stuff that some of your friends did and some of your family members did. When you compare yourself to other people, you kind of stayed on the straight and narrow. But on the inside, you were just as messed up. Because instead of maybe sinfulness, it was self-righteousness. You thought you could save yourself through good works and good deeds. Instead of the ugliness of sin, it was that sense of pride that would rise up in you as you would look in judgmentalism towards others. We all were a mess in need of a savior. And so we just thank God we, we aren't where we used to be. Out there doing nothing worth doing. Out there just with no purpose in life. And he calls us into his field. 
to do his work. He picked you. He picked me. Thank God I'm not where I used to be. I may not be where I want to be yet, but God's done some stuff in my life. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father than I used to be. I'm a better follower of Jesus Christ than I used to be. Some of you have been here a long time. You're about to amen me. I'm a better pastor than I used to be. I don't know why some people hung around those first few years. I wouldn't have stayed. (laughs) But I'm thankful for the continuing work of God in my heart and in my life. And if I want to combat disappointment and thanklessness, maybe for some of us it's just we just pause for a minute. And just for a moment, not the way the enemy does to bring up our past, not that guilt and condemnation that he throws at us all the time, but maybe just through the grace of God. We just kind of reflect back on who we used to be and what we used to do and remember that we may not be where we want to be yet, but thank God we are not where we used to be. The grace of God pulled us up out of that mire. Like there's something that God has done in our hearts and in our lives. And then when we look around, we compare, right? It's like, ah, man, I don't know how grace works. And we want God to be this fair God that divvies out 7% grace over here and 72% grace over here and 15%. That's not what God does. He just gives grace and grace and more grace. And where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He just gives grace and grace. And here's, here's what I love about this landowner. If God doesn't treat anyone unfairly, where he just gives grace to everyone, calls everyone in to work in the field early in the morning and at 9 and at 12 and at 3 and at 5, and he just gives everyone the same. If God just gives grace, if he's not fair in his doling out, he just unfairly gives grace to every person, unmerited favor, then he also deals with many far more leniently than they deserve. God alone in his sovereignty freely chooses how he gives it out. God is good, and he's just, and he's holy, but he is loving, wishing that none would perish. We're not where we want to be, but thank God we're not where we used to be. If we got what we deserved, we would be looking at eternity apart from him. Instead, we have hope because we'll spend eternity with him. We just pause in gratitude and thankfulness for what he's already done in our lives. Here's the second thing that we can, we can do to combat disappointment and thank, thanklessness. We can be thankful for what we have. We can be thankful for what we have. Don't fall into the comparison trap. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. We need to take our eyes off everyone else and put our eyes on Jesus the author, the finisher of our faith. He he, he writes our story. It's not not really important how he's writing other people's stories. It's not really important what he's doing in their story and in their life. Praise God for their blessings. And we don't know their stories and we don't know their storms and we don't know what they've walked through. But if we just focus on our story and what God's doing and how God might use us to impact other people, then we don't fall into that comparison trap and we can live contented lives just to be reminded of what we have, that we've been called into his field to reap his harvest. We have purpose. We gotta be thankful that we're not where we used to be. And we gotta be thankful for what we have. Coming out of this week, out of this Thanksgiving week, 
It's just been on my heart. God, thank you for who you are. And thank, thank you for what you've already done in my life, that gain mindset. And God, I pray that you continue to do more in my life. And Lord, if I'll just continue to posture myself this way, authentically chasing after you with all of my heart, what might you be able to do? Pastor Mark Batterson, written a number of books. He, he says this, and I kind of come back to this so often, especially in leadership in our church. He says we tend to overestimate what we can do in the short term and underestimate what God can do through us in the long term. What might God do in and through your life if you just sell out to him? Give him everything you have, everything you are. What if we just spent this holiday season from Thanksgiving to Christmas and into the new year? Not to make new resolutions. There's nothing wrong with that. I do that. But just to have kind of one thought. God, I give you everything I am. I want to come work in your field. I'm going to say yes to whatever it is that you're asking. You want me to come early in the morning? I'll come. You want me to come at 9? I'll come. You want me to come at noon? I'll come. You want me to come at 3 or 5? I'll come. You don't owe me anything. I'll take whatever you give to me. And whatever you put into my hands, I'll give it right back to you because it's all yours anyway. God, I'm in. Just give myself wholly and completely to you. I'm going to ask you right where you're at just to bow your head. Close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. You're still going to be early to lunch, I promise. If you'd say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I know where I'm at. You talked about my story. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm one of those Romans 3.23. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I'm, I'm, I'm sinful. I need to ask God for forgiveness for the things that I've done. But I also need to ask him to be the Lord of my life, to lead and guide and direct me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at if you're in the room? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Tons of hands today. If you're watching online and that's you, I encourage you to drop that in the chat or email us at prayerg.church. Let us know you've made that decision. And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, it's not really about salvation in this moment, perhaps. But for me, I need to have more gratitude in my life. Thanklessness has not served me well. I want to be thankful. I want to be grateful for the things that God has blessed me with and entrusted into my heart and my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? So many of us today. God, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you for our time together with the church family. I love these Sundays where we gather both of our services together. We do it for holidays and to help our G team, but... God, I just thank you that as we gather together in a moment like this, that we're reminded that you're good. You're so good. You're better to us than we deserve. And God, I pray right now for every person that lifted their hand in their need of salvation. So many of us have made that decision. But God, now we celebrate with those who are making that decision today. We know what this could mean for them and for their family and for their eternity. And so God, we celebrate with them now. I pray not only for their salvation, but God, I pray that you would be the Lord of their life, that you truly would lead them in the paths of the ways that you would call them to. So give them the strength and the courage to follow you. And God, now I pray for every one of us that lifted our hands, we responded online, that we're looking for more gratitude. We just need to be grateful. We need to recognize the blessings that you've already entrusted into our hands. And so God, I ask you now, to help us to look through that lens. Not just what we 
still lack, but what we have, the gain instead of the gap. God, don't let us fall into the trap of comparison, but Lord, let us be content in who you are. And God, as we do, let it change our perspective and the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.